So thousands of you have already downloaded the brand new High Performance app to unlock your own version of High Performance. And now the big news is we have some brand new features, some masterclasses, exclusive content, all on our new upgraded plus subscription service. All you need to do is head right now to the High Performance app and discover the brand new world of High Performance Plus. Details and loads of frequently asked questions are on our website right now. Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jake Humphrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today. Of course, there's still the connotations about a male model, but often the conceptions are, are completely wrong. If you have not got imposter syndrome, you are not challenging yourself. If you're sitting there every day going, I'm very comfortable, I know what I'm doing, put yourself in a situation that's kind of scary. And I've always kind of done that, thinking, what on earth am I doing here? But it's a massive challenge and it scares the living daylights out of me. But the feeling I get from taking, you know, sort of achieving that is worth it. So welcome to High Performance, David Gandhi, a man who turned the male modelling industry on its head. One of the most recognised models on the planet, a man who's been at the top of his game for over 20 years. But who actually is the man behind the good looks? The insecurities, the ambition, the hard work, the rejections, the lessons. It's all on its way in this fantastic episode of the High Performance Podcast. And you can actually get even more from David Gandhi. On the High Performance app, he will actually share with us the secrets to his daily gym routine. So you can find out what he does to stay in such incredible shape. If you want that extra free content, then just download the High Performance app right now. Right, let's do it. David Gandhi on High Performance. David, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having us, Guy. What is high performance to you? High performance is seeing something as maybe a success to people. Whether how you gauge that is, is, is up to you. But I always, Winston Churchill said, you know, success is defined by him from going into failure to failure without lack of enthusiasm. That to me is high performance. If you can keep doing that, and we all know even on a daily basis, you, you, people think of a failure, a failure of a business or financial and everything else, but there's failures every day. And you have to uh, sort of overcome those and still high perform and still try and be the best and it's problem solving. And I think if you can still have that enthusiasm and keep on going and going and going, and you ever meet the, you know some of the most successful people with like a high performance is... They're just overcoming failures, failures, problems in the way, but they conceive fair enough in the future to go and I'm going to keep plugging away at this. And to me, that's, um, I mean, that sums up so much of my career is just things have gone wrong, but it's still you know, belief and enthusiasm to higher perform that you know you're going to get there in the end. So that's kind of what it is to me. So if we rewind as many years as you like, when did you first realise that actually success is keeping on going forwards despite challenges, despite struggles, despite failure? Probably learned it at school. You know, I, I don't, this is not going to be a big thing. I was bullied at school and all these different things, but um, I didn't quite fit into school. Um, didn't fit in with the people, always do different things. Of certain years. In what way? I don't, I, I can't really tell you, to my point, just, um, but I, it, Put me almost, I say, put me in good stead because I didn't worry about anyone else. I didn't worry about what they said. I didn't join, you know, try and fitting. I just sort of kept myself to myself and not trying to follow the crowd or do the same thing. And I realized that was what people call now is a little bit disruptive because that's basically what I did in the fashion industry and what I'm trying to do now. So let's fast forward a little bit to when you decided to eventually go to university and mm. then promptly walk away from completing your university degree when you got the opportunity to be a model. I wonder whether that disruptor mindset was present then as well. And I think it'd be interesting for people how you came to a, what is a huge life decision when you're, when you're that sort of age to quit university. By that point, and I had done, I don't know, two and three quarter years at university and it's madness. I had a couple of modules to go. And I was like, I'm out and people are like, how are you out? You've got a couple to stay. And yeah. I was like, no, I've, there is an opportunity here and I'm going to take it. And uh, that's when I got the contract with Slack Model Agency. 
I wasn't the right look at the time. I wasn't the right build. I was very green into the fashion industry. Didn't have a clue how it worked, but there was an intriguing element to it. And then started to observe. And I always say it's five years of you know, observing. I didn't get many jobs. Um, I was doing okay, but it wasn't particularly what I wanted to do, but I could see where it could lead. So after that observation, I was looking at the female models and we all knew the female was the female supermodels. You, know, you, you don't even need to know the surnames. You've got you know, Chrissy, Cindy, Naomi. And I was like, you don't even need to know their surnames. This is how, but you couldn't name a male model. And I was like, why is this? And I was intrigued by it. You know, I'm curious of why this was. And you had big models at the time that you wouldn't know names of, but we knew them in the industry. And they would get to like a certain ceiling. And then that was it. Almost like everyone went, oh, that's as far as you can go. You can't go any further than that. So that's why a lot of models were then going to acting or music or something else. So my curious side was, well, how did the female models do it? And I was very fortunate to work with Naomi and, and a couple of others. And I asked them. And they said, almost some ways, Kristen you know, you know, sort of came. And I, and I could see she came with not an entourage, but just a couple of members of good teams, PRs. And I said, ah, this is a business. This is a brand. You are a brand. You've built, you know, that name is, when you just say Christian Naomi, you instantly know it. So it's that recognizable. And why hasn't a guy done this? Um, but you need a platform to be able to do that. You needed to you know, be known outside the industry. Yeah. So what were guys doing then that was different to that? They weren't running it as a business. And they, were, they didn't have the PRs. They didn't have the managers. They, they, had, they had agencies, but they didn't have a brand. They didn't name, you know. So we then got light blue with Dolce & Gabbana. There's a whole story of how we got that. Um, Go on, tell us. I said to my agent, uh, Tandy Anderson, I said, I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to do this like anymore. I'm going to do something else. And she at what said, stage was that? That was a stage when actually I was doing a lot of commercial catalogue work. And it's, um, you, you are travelling the world, you're earning good money. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. So how many years in are you at this point? Four and a half, five. Right. And, and what was that not fulfilling then? Anything I wanted to do in like the industry, it was, it was, you weren't working with the best creatives. You weren't leaving any form of legacy. You were seeing these big campaigns. You weren't part of it. You weren't working with, not insulting the photographers, the greatest photographers. And that's what I wanted to do. And I always had in my head, you know, I look, looked at the Levi's guys or, you know, that was the home of the Levi's commercials. And I was like, imagine if you could be in one of those like commercials. And that probably would have been enough, you know, to leave that iconic commercial. And um, I said, that's what I want to do. And she said to me, okay. She said, guys would kill to be in your position of what you're earning and what you're doing at the moment. And I was like, okay, but I see a different you know, pattern here. I think we can go bigger. Now, a lot of agents at that point would have gone, you're mad. No, we're not. You know, we're not trying to rock the boat here. Let's continue. She's earning her percentage. They're earning, yeah. you know, earning good money. I'm earning good money. She went, okay, I'm cancelling all of your clients as of tomorrow. You're not going to work for anyone because we need to change the perception of how you are in the industry from catalogue commercial to editorial fashion and starting branding and that's exactly what she did scary no because i didn't have anything to lose because i didn't want to do it anyway wow can i go back and just explore that that first observation you had of male models and not household names and you're seeing females so you've left university you've gone into an industry that by your own confession you don't know a lot about mm. you're observing it that willingness to almost pit yourself against these household names, these supermodels, as opposed to just seeing it as how do I survive in this industry? How do I get by? It's quite an interesting dynamic. And I'm interested as to what gave you the confidence to look that far ahead rather than just look to make a living. No idea. It's once, I mean, I, I look back now and go, what were you doing? Like that's like to have, but I, I didn't have anything to lose. And I think that was the, it's different now. Like once you, you get to a point and you've earned the money and you've built your brand to then take a chance of losing that, you're losing a lifestyle. To me, I didn't, I was traveling the world, but I didn't have, you know, it's not the lifestyle that you wanted it. But now I, you know, I've got responsibilities. That's how I didn't have responsibilities. It was a lovely time. It was one of my favorite times. And you sort of imagine you can do anything. My, my whole point in my early twenties, even late twenties was like, what can you do? It was a gorgeous thing that you had options. And that still to me was an option to go and do something else. But it was, you know, it was Tandy who said, and everyone's saying, oh, you're so Amani. I remember this, Amani, Amani, Amani. And, and Tandy went, you're Dolce Gabbana. 
you're Dolce and Gabbana. Forget Armani, forget anything else, you're Dolce. And I was like, all right, Tand, I'm going to listen to you. Um, and then she orchestrated this. Uh, um, there was a party for um, Mariano Vivanco, photographer, and Domenico and Stefano were going to be there. So this was a party, and Tandy said, you're going to come to pretend to pick up an airline ticket that you've got to have to travel tomorrow. This is a complete orchestrated story. So I went there, and um, I said, hi, Mariano, thanks for allowing me. And there was a ticket that was produced, and I said, thanks so much. So said, let me just go and say hello to, you know, come say hello to Domenico and Stefano. I said, hi, guys, how are you? And they looked, and you could see they just went, okay. A week after I was on the campaign, to do the campaign out in L.A. with Stephen Mizell. So I did the campaign, and then we went back to go and do the show and um, in Milan. And then Heidi called me, my agent, said, there's a negotiation started with fragrance. And a fragrance is the pinnacle of what you want in, you know, as a model. Done what it is, it's Dolce. And we you know, then found out it was light. Well, I didn't know it was light blue. It was light blue, Mario Testino. And then from there, we, that was the start of everything. So can I ask you about the world of modelling? Because mm. my only frame of reference for that is the film like The Devil Wears Prada or something like that. Which, yeah, which, not far off. Right. But I'm interested. I, I know nothing about the culture of it. I wonder if you could explain a bit about that to us. I think there's something about the fashion industry is that mystery is the appeal to it. I think people get wrapped up in the culture. I've never, I've, again, I'm going to say this now, I never really fitted in school, never really fitted in university, never really felt I fitted in the fashion industry. Um, so I've very much been a, my individual person to within within the industry. And I think you can delve in as much as into that as you want, or you can sort of stay quiet. I, I always say, I always, hopefully people say to me, you, you're quite grounded. You know, you're back to your kind of Essex roots. And, and I say, yeah, that's the kind of way I've been brought up. So... It's um, it's an incredible industry, and that's why I think there was a fascination to me to be more involved in it. Um, but I always got to a point where instead of the industry using you, which I think it does to a lot of people, is I wanted to use the industry um, and be in complete control. And that's where I saw it. I didn't want to be. I saw I saw a lot of people who were told where to be, what to do, what to wear, how to do their hair, how to where they should be, and I was like, you're not in control of anything. So again, to turning a complete business, just turning into a business model. So when we got light blue, we then, that was it. It was, everyone knew me. They didn't know my name. They knew me as the guy in the white swimming trunks. So then we started to build a team, PR, the agencies, and, and to then build the name um, into a brand. But you must have had to sell like the grand vision. Like what were you thinking at that point? Were you thinking, I, I want the David Gandhi brand to be here in five years or 10 years or next week next month How yeah did- so i mean we, we always i mean i always work in my head i don't often tell people five year or ten year plans um but that was i think the underlying thing was build a brand build a name be in control of it so my thought was why do you want to work 350 days a year for different brands earning this amount of money when you can work for two brands work for six days a year on quadruple the money that was literally my logical thing. People, yeah, but that you, men can't get that. You can't get exclusive contracts. So that's what the, that's what the female models were doing. That's, yeah, yeah. Of course, they worked for. Uh, and you know, Cindy Crawford said, you know, I, I want a marriage. I don't want a one night stand with a brand. So you work with a brand, and that's where my you know longevity with uh, M&S, Dolce Gabbana, Jaguar, Vitabiotics, um, M&S, that all came about. Longevity, longevity. Um, and working with them, working on, on working with them on a three-year, four-year plan. Um, that those days, I mean, we still do that. But if you look at those days, have completely changed now. Like talking to brands about longevity yep. above six months. I mean, they're just about social. The next, 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 and, and I try and go and explain to a brand, look, this has to be a two-year, three-year collaboration. So, what do you take us into those meetings then? Because I'm interested of how you how you change minds and get people to invest in that longer term relationship. Some of it's management who approach anyway. So, you know, Vitabiotics was um, sort of a meeting that came about where they were walking out of a meeting, and they'd just come out of a meeting saying, "We want to go. We want to move away from just using sports people to more lifestyle." I walked in, had been using Wellman for a long time it says on thing i've been using well man since i was 20 not a lie it's actually genuine and i said it's nice to meet you i'm you know david um 
your products are great. I really like respect. I use your proteins. I use Wellman since I was 20. And of course that just came about and they like almost light bulbs went off like around the room to management. They went, oh, hang on a minute. Let's just go back and we'll have a quick conversation. Um, and they said, how do you see it? And I you know, sort of said to them, I said, look, I, I love what you do. Um, I would love to go on and help you with the creative. Um, I think that can be improved. And I think you like your life, you know, if you're selling a lifestyle, you need to sell it in shoots and creative. That's what I do. That's what we do to bring our team. And that, and we've collaborated together and we've seen that, you know, well, man, do extremely, extremely well. Hence, you know, we've been going nearly six years with them. Yeah, the biggest thing for me was, of course, there's still the connotations about a male model. Most people, the only, as you said, you don't have anything, you don't know much or you, about the fashion industry, yeah. about the culture, about the people. But often the conceptions are, are completely wrong. Like, you know, to you know, be in that sort of Zoolander model, that's what you're seen as. Yeah. Like not much of a brain being told what to do and all those different things. So when I, I had to, when I walked into meetings, of course, I, I would hear it. People would go, what, we're meeting the guy in the white pants, this guy. <laughs> so that was, I was like, right. So in the meeting, I had to straight away change that within the first so tell us how, So there's a lot of people listening to this that maybe battling stereotypes in different ways. It might mm. be race, gender, disability, religion. Mm. Yours is the the stereotype of the dumb male model. So how do you go about challenging that stereotype? Well, I've always sort of said you, you, uh, you take on the doubters by being successful. That's 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 the biggest hit on anyone. Anyone can insult you. No one can insult me as much as I can insult myself. By the way, like that's I, I'm, I'm my biggest critic. I can imagine there's people listening to this that think that in many ways you you won the genetic lottery. You've got a distinctive look, but I'm interested in the kind of self talk that you engage in. Do you see that that there's an element of luck, or do you beat yourself up for what you haven't done or what you can't do? I didn't beat myself up. I don't think that. I hope I worked my strengths. I always sort of said to people, you work within, you know, there, there are sort of limits to what you can do. There's a lot of guys, um, and I don't think I don't look him around going, yeah, you, you've got it, it's what it takes. Because there are guys in every agency that are better looking, better models into the fashion industry more than me. Um, always have been. The difference was, um, I just did it a bit differently. I, ran it as a business um, and had the, had the name of the branding. That's that's the way I did it differently. And I said, yeah, definitely not the best model. Definitely not the best looking. Never ever thought I was. Um, you know, for Wellwear now, is my team, you know, for, which is my new clothing brand. Um, yeah, my team literally have to force me to go and like model for my own stuff because I want to give the opportunity. I think there are better models that can do it than me. Um, and that, I, I've kind of always thought that. Um, so it was always the business creative side that I've probably loved more than I did, you know, more than actually being in front of the camera. And I keep trying to come back. Do you have doubts about how you look or not? You know, you can probably call that, um, in anything is like, there's an imposter syndrome. I think in anything, I think I've always had that. I think a lot of people have it, a lot of successful, if you talk to successful people, they've had it. But I always try and put a positive on something and said, you should have it. And they were, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, because if you have not got imposter syndrome and you're, you are not challenging yourself, if you're sitting there every day going, I'm very comfortable, I know what I'm doing, and that to a lot of people is absolutely fine, not for me. I'm like, right, I've done this. What's that next? Where am I going from there? Put yourself in a situation that's kind of scary. And I've always kind of done that. So it's putting yourself in going, what on earth am I doing here? Probably why I don't really think, you know, I go to the British Fashion Award and go, what are you doing here on the red carpet? Someone's going to pull you aside and go, yeah, Dave, you've, had your, you've had a good 20 years like that. So let's forget this. But it, it's all those situations. And that goes to like challenging other things in life as well. Like, I don't know, powerboat racing that I've done and, and uh, you know, racing in the Mille Mille and all these different things. I'm not having a clue what I'm doing there. But no, but it's a massive challenge and it scares the living daylights out of me. But the, but the feeling I get from, you know, sort of taking, you know, sort of achieving that is worth it. There's always a bit of, you know, a, a reward at the end for a couple of days. Have you got comfortable with people having an opinion about how you look, how you stand, the colour of your eyes, the waves in your hair, the size of your pecs? It's like that's what the fashion industry is like. Mm. You are mm. just standing there going, judge me. 
Like, yeah, Jay, you, you have to have a thick skin. But you, you realise, again, you know, I'm now, I've done creatives and I, I, I have to cast models. I've been in the worst castings ever. You know, I'd like just, uh, and I probably overcompensate. You know, I've been into where they look at your book, they don't even speak to you, and then they close your book and hand it to you and you walk out. Never ever going to be like that. And uh, when I say overcompensate, I'm like, you come in. And they're like, literally models are with me for half an hour because I'm chatting to them and getting to know them. But they have to be our ambassador for my brand. And I might like them. And I might think they're a great ambassador, but for that creative at that moment, I have to visually, you have to assess them of, you know, is that the best person for the job? And you are assessing someone on the way they look. If it isn't within the industry, the people at home looking at the magazines or the snipes on social media, you know, let's be totally honest, people look at you and think, born gorgeous, had a really nice, easy life. People took his photo and paid him millions of pounds for the privilege. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so easy to have an opinion about David Gandhi, right? Yeah, I suppose so. But it happens like that. But it can happen like that. You know, it's there are people taken off the street and the next week they're shooting the Calvin Klein campaign or the Marnie campaign. And it continues. Yeah. They don't have to work. Uh, and we should um, celebrate that, right? Human nature should go in. Isn't that incredible that Absolutely. life can deal with that for someone? Would, would I have, um, maybe I wouldn't have liked, but I, <laughs> a slightly easier you know, going into the industry, yeah, would have loved yeah. that. It wasn't the funnest five years, you know, and there were constantly things where you just thought you were going to get one of them. I got the Ralph Lauren campaign and then I was on the way to the airport and they cancelled me. And you had your, you're on the way to the campaign, you're on the way to the airport and they said, sorry, we're going a different direction. That, to come from that high to that low, you just went, oh my God. And to pick yourself up, yeah. to then go, okay. And I actually remember just like getting back home, sitting on the stairs and going, what am I doing here? Like, this is... Tell us about that, because that sounds unbelievably well, brutal. that's something you have to get used to as well. The, 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 in the industry, there's lots of examples like that. Uh, I did a... I won't mention the name, but this is actually when I was... Even had sort of a name, and they brought me in to do a, a show, um, and I didn't fit the clothes. Clearly didn't fit the clothes. Too big? Yeah. I was always too big for a lot of stuff. They used to, you know, Tom Ford used to go, here's the big guy. And I was like, am I really that big? I'm a 40 chest and a 30 waist. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not big. I just criticised the industry and go, look, maybe sample size is bigger than 36 or 38 and a normal person will wear them. And um, so, yeah, I, I, again, put the clothes on. They said, yeah, it doesn't matter. Just get them on the runway. And then they looked at me and I looked at myself and they went, yeah, you can't go on. Literally pulled me off runway. Go out. In front of everyone, in front of all the guys. I went, where are you going? I went, I'm going home. So what do you do at that moment, though? Um, I don't know. Can I have a gin tonic? And, and, <laughs> which I like <laughs> as a strategy. <laughs> but I'm interested in how do you then pick yourself up to you didn't put yourself me, back the, in? Okay, so I always say try and turn it on a positive. This was for a big brand. So to me, I would have walked in that show and you then would have been associated with that brand. To me, I was taken away, not working with that brand, there's other brands that are going to work with you on that. So if you're doing that brand, it takes you away from working with a lot of other brands. So positive, I'm not doing that. Other opportunities with other brands. There was one time we were out in LA and we went to, um, I'm not name dropping here, but I'm going to. Um, I just shot uh, the makeup with uh, her makeup, Scarlett Johansson for Dolce. Um, and we then got flown to LA to do an alcohol brand with Scarlett Johansson. I didn't realise at the time, and they didn't realise that we just were. So we got to LA, and she was like, David, have you seen the Dolce pictures I have? They're amazing. And you suddenly heard this like loud room went a little bit quiet, and someone had picked up with the weird works together before. So there was like, okay, so you go off to make up, David. Why don't you just go and sit in that corner over there for a second? I was like, okay, we sit there for an hour, and no one's saying, you're going, should I be getting makeup, getting hair, or anything? And they go, no, no, just to stay there and you realise when no one talks to you in the fashion street something's wrong you go okay so you, I sit there and go literally waiting for my phone to call and it full calls and I was like oh there we go hi Hyde hi David yeah they've pulled you because you've done the campaign with Scarlett and I said oh but they're not going to pull Scarlett of course they went no I went okay I said um what's happening with pay and they said well therefore you get full pay don't have to do the campaign I was like okay I went hi I'm going to take a couple of days off went to uh uh, hire a very fast car not the fastest car went up to Carmel had a nice weekend got paid and didn't and not associated with that brand I saw it as a bonus to, and I that sounds that sounds a bit egotistical and a bit sort of I there's not a negative behind that yeah, yeah. to me I was like yeah absolutely great saw the campaign it was shit I'm glad I wasn't part of it it was all win-win and I always say try and try and turn something into right. a positive for everyone in that instance it's kind of easy to turn it into a positive right because you've got paid for doing 
something that you didn't need to do and you've come out well there will definitely be times where it's harder to try and find a positive um and i know you do a lot of work for men's mental health campaigns and so i'm sure you understand where i'm going with this like how challenging has it been at times for your mental health um yeah, I mean, it's. I've always said that there have been dark times, and I, I don't think it's much to do with being in the fashion industry, though. I think that's just me. Um, it can be a very lonely. You, know, you are traveling the world. And I, I said, to, you know, sometimes you're you're going for days without really. Sometimes you're going from job to job, but you're going. You might go from London, then you're going to Barcelona, and then you're doing a job, then you go from Barcelona to somewhere else, but not just to get to then another location. And this is like a three or four day trip to get somewhere. And if you don't know anyone, you're going from airport to sitting in an airplane seat to going to a hotel, to going back to an airplane. You're not really speaking to anyone for days. I think it's quite weird. Um, it is a strange concept. Now, if you speak to my other half, you'll realize that I don't talk that much. And she <laughs> says that. It's like, how's your day? Yeah, it was fun. You know, that's basically very men as my father was. Her father's the same. You know, it's men are very much like that I think you can be quite solitary and there's a different I always said there's a difference between lonely and loneliness mm. and I was never lonely and I used to enjoy that and actually you know my other half has had to understand that I need time to myself and that's with the dog and that can be with the children but it's you know there is a time where I like and she she doesn't understand that you know she is if she's at a party, you know, she, her, she engulfs being at parties, events, being around people. To me, it drains me and I need to be the exact opposite. And she used to laugh at me. She goes, you could, like, I, what did you do last night when we were first dating? I went to cinema. Who with? Myself. Where'd you go? Well, I went to dinner. Who with who? Myself. I was very much, and that's probably going back to school, I did. I was very comfortable. And I think you should be, it worries me if people aren't comfortable in their own company. Yeah. I always think there's something wrong there. They have to have other people's opinions or you know, other people to build their ego. Need. And I didn't need that. So people criticise and build an ego. I never particularly needed that. But um, you have a, a dark time. So how have they, when you talk about a darkness, how does that manifest itself? That, and that, what that have you learned just, to um, combat just, that? Yeah, I mean, probably, I mean, if, if you kind of think about it, when I'm, when I'm working, I do have so many projects on the go. I drive people around the bend. I'm finishing, not even finishing one, there's another idea and there's another idea and there's something else I want to do. There's there's low stuff going on. And I've realised I need to do that. It's when you slow down sometimes. Because you know, in my 20s and 30s, it was just, I want opportunities and work. I was, it wasn't selfishness, but there was a point where I'm going to take hopefully every opportunity, everything that comes about, and I don't want to have to worry about anyone else during that time it was me and i need to build this career and it's put me in good stead to be able to you know ease off a little bit now and be with my family and my girls and not worry so much still got a million projects on but not to have to travel in and i loved it so but if that stopped then that's my mind would start you start probably thinking and you would always have to think is this my last campaign is this my last job is this is this it you know i'm on a, you get those thoughts yeah yeah absolutely you never know. You walk off everything. You have you have a good. I mean, you think is this the last one? Is this the last time I'm going to work for this brand? But you then realise that you just. That's why I suppose I have many projects and many working with many brands because if one you know and you do stop eventually. Every collaboration, everything you know, eventually ends. But you then just have to work on the next thing. So that's why I sort of built it for my mind. You know, my mindset in some ways. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I, I don't think the industry is because I'd never really listened to them. It, it was a thing of when I went in the industry, and I was I wasn't a big guy when I was nine, you know, twenty, twenty one when I went to the industry in year twenty two. Um, but you know, I was bigger, and then I just built. I got bigger and bigger because I took over the gym was my reset, was my escape. So of course, if, if you're competitive, then you want to get bigger and you want to get muscly and you want to build and. I always say that, that, you know, I was always training before and they go, well, you, you, you know, you have to be fit. You don't have to be fit in the industry at all. You don't have to have the, you know, a great body. But in my mindset, that made me, I've always just done it for myself. Today's High Performance Podcast is in association with AG1. And actually the last couple of weeks has been a great reminder to me about why AG1 
is so important for me because I've been on the road. The fact I've been living out of a suitcase, I haven't had my routine, means actually I have missed taking my AG1 in the mornings and I've honestly noticed the difference. I've had a drop in energy. I haven't felt great because for me, AG1 is my daily nutritional insurance. It's good for my energy. It's great for my guts. It's full of multivitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics. It's all my key health products in just one drink. And I've got a great offer for you from AG1. If you're looking for a simple, effective investment for your health, you can get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com forward slash high performance. That's drinkag1.com forward slash high performance to try AG1 for yourself. So can you tell us a little bit then, David, around one of our favourite phrases we heard from, we interviewed uh, Maro Itoji, the mm-hmm. England rugby player, and at his club Saracens, they've got a sign or an acronym stitched into the back of their shirts that stands for the shit that no one sees. So internally within their world, mm-hmm. they value all the stuff that isn't in the spotlight. It's the work that goes on behind the scenes. And I'm interested... Can you give us a bit of an insight then into the shit that no one sees for you looking so good, doing these great modelling campaigns and all the other things around the brand? We've probably touched on it, you know, about how you had, we've strategically had to work at that and that's the meetings and the shit and, you know, and, and no one, no one hears about the campaigns that you got pulled from or the ones you got cancelled from last minute. That, that's a bit shit. But if you make it positive, you make it positive. There's always been a bit of a side to me they talk about in in fact in in the fashion industry as well. Yes, you are very fortunate to look the way you do, um, and have the body you do, but it's not attainable. Like they say, well, you know, are you creating an image that isn't attainable? So if I talk about in the physical form, I go, hang on, wait a minute. I've gone from being a chubby teenager to quite skinny, you know, I shot up to like six, you know, six, two, six, three. So I was quite skinny. I didn't like that. For my mental health, I wanted to be bigger. So I got bigger. And every evening when probably everyone else is having dinner, I'm at the gym. So I put, you know, even now with my two girls, I put the girls to bed, half past nine, I'm at the gym. I get home at half past 10, I cook dinner. I'm still working, my mobile phone's still on all throughout this whole business. And that's what I've been doing for 22 years. So, so no one understands that. No one sees you doing that. And of course, now with social, a lot of people do put it on, but I'm quite private in that respect. So no one sees the work that goes into it. Um, and it's still a fascination in people when they say, how do you get the body you do? And you go, it's hard work. It's just training. You know, that that's all it is. But I know a lot of, you know, female models, uh, the Victoria's Secret models and all those, you know, their training was incredible. They train like athletes. To get to where they, you know, to get the physique, you know, the physique of of um, what they have. When I'm saying you train like athletes, you really, really do. So there's a lot of shit that goes on behind things. But again, like in any any business, you don't uh, you don't hear about it. You, you you see the good side of it, and people think about the good side. Yeah, yeah. When someone comes to me and a guy says, "How do I get to a young model? How do I get to where you you've got to?" and I it's an, I said, look, it's an impossible thing for me to tell you, but I've been doing this for 21, 22 years. And, you know, I, the one that always gets people is, is, well, I didn't really have a big, you know, a big job for Dolce for six years. And you can see them switch off. They're like switches. Okay, six years. Not waiting six years. I'm, saying, I'm not saying you have to wait six years, but that's how long it took me. That's perseverance. So, you know, you have to believe in what your, that my thought you know, process of where I wanted to be was correct. Um, and you can see like so many young people now like, oh yeah, no, I, when do you think, well, I, I want to go and be in supermodel tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Not going to happen. Okay. Have to be realistic. So, um, yeah, so it's, um, you, you don't, but that goes, as I said, in, in every business and every CEO I've met and every successful person, athlete, they've all been through, you know, you don't see the shit at the end of the day. You don't see, no one sees the hard work. Of a, you know, of a successful person. Mm. Of course, there are shortcuts, right? Mm-hmm. And you're now in your 40s. I don't, I don't know whether you have fear about ageing and looking different or whether that excites you because it moves you into a whole other sphere. Um, I, don't about wa- I, don't worry too much, I don't worry too much about it, but I've been fortunate enough that um, you know, starting, I, I don't rely, yes, I rely on, on looks, but not 
as much as I probably used to. Yeah. And it's just aging. You know, it's just I try my best. Also, if you look at a lifestyle that is traveling the world on aeroplanes, um, not much sleep for 22 years, it's not, it, nothing, you know, is good about that for aging or for yeah. skin or anything else. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe in, you know, growing old gracefully. I think I look all right until I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to that us you. But the kids is actually a relevant point here because I think, you know, I like the fact that when people think, oh, David Gandhi looks unattainable, you'll say, no, that's not true. If you put the time and the work and have the patience, you know, you can build muscle, right? Anyone can do that. that that's basically it. Yeah. But now you could happily have a filler here or a Botox there or an injection here or there to mm. make your face look different. Would you do that or is actually the the sort of the honesty of this more important than that because there is a there is a sort of a something toxic about that particularly for young people looking at those in the public eye and seeing i don't know people that make that decision i think the food so if someone put it this way without going too far with botox and all those different things is these days is people ask me how long to get ready to red carpet I'm literally 20 minutes. Now, that's not boasting. It's like I don't have time. I, I know roughly, I'm very fortunate over the years built a wardrobe. But, you know, for young people to look at these people on the red carpet nowadays and the famous stars, the amount of work that has gone into, that's a team of stylists. That's a grooming team. That happens weeks before, um, you know, that event. I'm sort of more genuine, like, yeah, I take, I might get a suit made, but, you know, very rarely do anymore. So how long does it take you? Literally 20 minutes. Because that's just a lifestyle change. And then that's, but I've always kind of been that way. So in, in some ways, it's like, I, I don't have the time. That's not, that doesn't interest me yeah. whatsoever. And I see this sort of society that everyone's worried about what everyone else is doing, what everyone else looks like, what everyone is aging, what everyone else is doing, and following exactly the same as everyone else. Like globalization and fashion has led to this. Everyone kind of dressing the same a bit. Um, and it was it was Eleanor Roosevelt who once said, you know, great minds talk talk about ideas, uh, medium minds talk about events, small minds talk about other people. Now you can adapt that a little bit now. Yeah. But everything I wanted to get in the company in in my you know in everything I thought about is ideas. I don't really care what anyone else is doing. I don't care what what are the ideas. What are the ideas to if there's problems, how can we solve them? That's the big thinking of everything, and that's what people don't seem to be able to do these days. How many years old is Wellwear? Two. Now. Okay, so you're two years old, and you've already got a collaboration with Packet, which is you know really recognisable around the world, right? So, yeah. um, we have many entrepreneurs, many people building brands, listening to this. How was how has it happened so quickly for Wellwear? What collaborations? I think just the growth. Have you been clear from day one that this is something that you wanted that quickly? My own brand's been something I wanted in my head. I will not be any bones about it, guys. This is the hardest thing I've done in twenty two years. Um, Why? It's just a whole different ball game. Owning your whole thing, being founder, and creative director. Let's get into that. Come on. What's hard? Well, first, I, I, I would it? probably say that when you're, when you've got your, you know, when people want you to do something for them to, to better their brand, they're very enthusiastic about you coming on and then helping you and then, because they're getting something from it. When you start your own brand, and I learned this at MS as well, is that people stop talking to you because you're a rival. Oh, yeah. um, and I heard this from brands. They were like, you know, autograph is killing, you know, David Gannett autograph is killing us, you know, at a brand. And I didn't want to do it, but it's disruptive. You know, one of the things we did in swimwear was pretty much, you know, I looked at all of our brown. You know, I was on holiday and I thought, I need to do something for David Gandhi autograph. And I loved, all of our brown is one of the pinnacle brands, incredible yeah. success. Um, I said, well, what if we did those swim, but they're 150 quid. What if we did them at MS for 30? And we put the side adjusters and the colours and did that. And we sold a pair every minute on launch. Um, that's what I kind of look at, you know, doing all the time. To, and, but, you are there's you are competition then, and you are competition in the industry you are in. Um, so I think that's the difference. So where you could rely on people to help, or you ask favours, 
that's now no longer. And businesses, there's some really ruthless business people around. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. So what's been the biggest lesson you've learned? Stupidly, to come back to originally what I've done in my in this fashion industry is do everything yourself. Bring it all in-house. We've been promised the earth by other brands, um, creatives, all these different things. And then you learn, yeah, you can't rely on, horribly, you know, terribly you can't rely on anyone. That's why the team well, where they are, I mean, I can't thank them enough. We are all doing three or four jobs each. How big is the team? Six people. Not big. And you wake up in the morning, go to sleep at night, thinking of well where this is like sometimes laser sleep at night. laser sometimes when you're asleep as well i think that's something to point out though to people as well if you're going to do the entrepreneurial thing i mean it is all consuming yeah i mean uh, collaboration with m&s and collaboration brands is different you can turn them on and off you, you can yeah. you can be involved kind of as much or as little as you like but i was massively involved with with m&s and i still to this day love m&s always did that's why i worked with them but we had a you know a, a kind of a collaboration for eight years. That was that's a long time in the industry. And then you go and you need to. To me, this was the last thing. Can I do it? This was the last thing. I, I didn't need to do it, but it was the last thing that was going to. If I hadn't done it twenty years, if this fails, if it succeeds, I would have gone. I wonder what I've had when I've done what is it? clothing brand. Can I do it? What what to you is it? I suppose it's a, a bit like anything. It's it's that risk and reward. Everything I've done, I but everything I've done, there's a little bit of risk. The risk of completely shutting down all my brands I worked with, you know, when I said to Tandy in 2005, it was a risk. It wasn't a risk to me at the time, but it clearly it was a risk. So, but if you, you know, judging on your name, higher perform and get to that reward for achieving that is worth it. So can you expand on your on how you take risks because i've heard this theme crop up a number of times in in whether it's you walking away from two modules left of the university degree to go and pursue a career in modeling that's a risk but you said mm -hmm. i had nothing to lose you decide that you're going to turn down brands to focus on like rather than work for 20 brands you'll work for two and build a relationship that's a risk but mm -hmm. again you said i had nothing to lose now you do have plenty to lose. So how has your relationship with risk changed over the years? Going back to sports and many things, there's, you know, and in life there's a 27 club. Apparently you you have self-deprecation after the age of 27. Before that, and I think we all know this as guys, we're scared living that if I had a boy because I knew he'd try and kill himself in cars or sports or skiing or something. I used to. How me and my friends, you know, since I've known through throughout all life, I have no idea. The stupid things that we used to do. And then at 27, but you don't think about the risks. And after that, you start thinking about um, the risks and what you're going to lose or what you could lose. And it changes, changes in you know, Formula One. Those guys at 25 don't think about death, don't think about the risk. They just go for it. Yep. 30 year old would be like, ooh. And that, that, as a sportsman, you can't do that. You cannot have that doubt. You've just got to go for it. Um, and I think that changes the more. It's good. You, you, know, you have success. You have lifestyle. You, I have responsibilities. You know, my children need to go to school. We have homes. Everything needs to be paid for. We have a lifestyle. We want. I want to travel like I did with my parents. So of course you're not risking, but also that that's management. Even if something happens, you've got. You know, you've you've planned for those problems to happen and still be be able to live. So it's not risking too much financially. To, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a big risk taker. Because I don't know as much within that world. So when you're talking, you know, a lot of people who was, you know, put a lot of money into stock market and trading and all these different things. Um, I've invested in 20 companies, um, and I've got obviously brands and companies of my own, but I don't understand that as much. I would, I just couldn't take those risks. I don't understand it. But there's something in me that I, for some reason, I always said gut feeling. Any time I've ever not, you know. Um, not gone with my gut instinct it's gone wrong that's honestly true and I thought yeah you knew this why did you do it right and you know we're going back to going from failure to failure I've learned more from failure than I have from success sometimes I don't trust success something comes very easily I don't trust it I mean, that's an anomaly that, 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 why did that happen 
But failure, if you keep on going, you're learning and learning. As long as you don't carry on those failures. So what would you say has been your biggest failing then? And what did you take from that? Um, if you go to Wellware, it, it, as I just said, trusting other people. And that's, uh, yeah, we bought everything in-house. Cost us a fortune to do it. Ruined our, ruined our, you know, our, our business plan, everything else. If you don't know your purpose in life, find your passion. Your passion will lead you to your purpose. Yeah. And there's a purpose to this. There's got to be a purpose. It's not to make, it's, it is to make, of course, every business is to make money, to be successful. That's you know, an ego thing. Um, and I hope it will be. But there is, and taking on the big boys in the industry, I suppose that's my ego. So like, can I take the guys on and, and, and create this industry and, and disrupt a little bit? And uh, but there's a purpose behind this, and, and a serious purpose. If we're all serious about the environment, then we need to talk about it, and there's a seriousness to it. And while Damien's interested in the purpose, I'm interested in the process because I think that's so helpful for other people. Like, are you CEO of this brand? Are you running this day to day? Founder you- and yeah, creative director, and right. yeah, as I say we're, we've all got about three hats on. So, how are you hiring people? So, my best friend uh, Charlie T. He started a, a creative branding agency. Um, and during lockdown, he said, finally, I've got you in one place at one time. Let's have a chat. And I finished my M&S and we were in a point where I had six months I couldn't do anything. Um, and I said, Wait, okay, well, let's start brainstorming. And um, we did. And we came up with you know, the concept of, of wellware. No one is bigger than anyone else. No one is better. And I encourage everyone. And I never want to micromanage. I never want to. Like, everyone is there because they are the best at what they do. And that's why I trust everyone's. I have to make those decisions at the end. That's why I've done in the in the industry. I still have to be. I said, but leave this with me. And I say it to brands sometimes as well, or I say it to creators within brands. I said, blame me if this goes wrong. I'll take the I'll take the blame for this, because some of there's you know corporates above that is not believing in this. So if it goes wrong, blame me. But it's not going to go wrong. So that's why I always say to people. So yeah, I take that front, but it's a it's a team effort, and they are just incredible at the moment is what we are. You know, is is what we what we are achieved with not you know not very little. Hopefully, um, you know, you need a visionary and you need someone to come along to really you know for, for our growth. But we are growing very very well. Um, but to take it to that next stop, to really really sort of take on the big boys, then you know that's the next round of financing and everything else. I wish you all the luck. I'm I'm so Thank excited you. for you to you know, become a founder of a brand. And I think you spent your career actually breaking down doors for others to walk through, like the first male model to do what you did with branding. And now look what you do. You're saying to all of those guys who are used to just having their photo taken and being judged from the outside as, you know, good looking, but not that bright. You're saying, just show the world what you can achieve. And I think that's probably a big reason why this feels so passion driven for you. And hopefully that will continue. Good luck. Right, we've reached our quickfire questions. The three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you should buy into. Drive. Yep. Commitment, kindness, honesty. Great. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received and why? No one's given me that much advice. And that sounds a really strange thing. So what advice would you give to a teenage David just starting out? Enjoy the moment more. There's times like my best moments of life, I, I don't even think I can remember because I was already on to the next element. What can this lead to? What are we working on next? If you could go back to one moment of your life... What would it be and why? I could go on both my daughters being born, which is a magical moment. If I had to go on a work uh, element, it was on a speedboat after shooting light blue, coming back with Mario Testino and the team and going, okay, so that's, this is what I've worked for. This is what I've, you know, this is what I've had. I've put up with all the shit for five years. I think this one, I think this one could be special. It was the excitement of where this could lead. And I don't think, uh, yeah, I've had those moments, but it was just that. That one was incredible. Your biggest strength, your greatest weakness. Greatest strength. Um, commitment, I suppose, to some to people. Yeah. To brands, to work and drive. And your greatest weakness? Uh, trusting people. And lastly, your one golden rule for living a high-performance life. Think outside the box. Which you have done again and again. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time. That Thanks, guys. Really been such really an interesting this. journey from, from the beginning to here. I'm so excited to see where Wellware goes in the future. And thank you. Like it feel it still feels like 
after all these years, you're at the beginning of your journey, which is the mm. most exciting place to be. Thank you. And cheers, guys. Really, really cheers, enjoyed David. it. Cheers, David. Damien. Jake. Look, David spoke there about sort of being judged as a male model, but he is the antithesis of what you'd imagine a male model to be. And it's a great reminder that we all exist, putting people in boxes, framing people in this image that we believe. And I love it when he comes on a podcast like this and challenges our thinking. Like, what a bright guy. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it is a good reminder that sometimes we d- that our brain naturally puts people into stereotypes that a male model, as David said himself, has traditionally for years been mute un- and people then attribute that they must be dumb because you don't hear them speaking, they rely on the looks. And he's a great example that that what that not to judge a book by its cover, incredibly handsome man, but also somebody that's got quite a lot of uh, nuance, subtlety and deep thinking that's going on as well. I mean, he said it in the podcast, I didn't belong at school, I don't feel I belong in the modelling world, I feel I've never belonged anywhere. And I think that's a really powerful realisation for people listening to this, not to think that they're struggling and nobody else is. You know, even David Gandhi has lived a life racked with self-doubt and imposter syndrome and fear at times. That's great to know. Yeah, definitely. I, lo- I love that idea of marching to the beat of your own drum, though. The story told of sort of going in the in the library at school at lunchtimes because I didn't have anyone else to speak to. So I learned to be comfortable in my in my own company. You know, he's still doing that as a model now when he's going off and he says, I'll go and dine in restaurants on my own, I'll travel on my own. I'm not afraid of being in my own company. And I think there's something that we can all learn there that we often distract ourselves with noise uh, around us, but sometimes learning to be comfortable with our own thoughts, our own actions and who we are ourselves gives us that authenticity that in David's work really shines through. Indeed. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you, mate. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with David Gandhi. If you can hit subscribe for these conversations, wherever you get your podcasts, it makes a massive difference to us. But please continue to spread the learnings you're taking from these conversations. Remain humble, curious, empathetic, and find your own version of high performance. Take care. 